All right, so today we're going to be talking about Jerusalem, um, and there is a ton to talk about as far as Jerusalem goes. So we're actually breaking it up into two weeks. Um, I'm going to talk about Jerusalem in the Old Testament, and then next week if you join us then, um, Stephen Ramsey will be talking about Jerusalem from about the first century um, B.C. forward. Um, really interesting time, so you don't want to miss that. Um, so... This is a picture of modern day Jerusalem. You can see the Dome of the Rock and um, all of the houses. Um, this I believe is um, a Russian Orthodox church here. Um, very beautiful inside. Um, what now? That's the Dome of the Rock. This, this is, yes. I'm sorry, you can't see my mouse probably. This right here. And yes, that Dome of the Rock. Sorry, go ahead. All right. So here is Jerusalem on a map. So this is where it is um, in Israel, and this is where it is in relation to um, the rest of uh, the Middle East here. Um, and Jerusalem means city of peace. Um, which I find very interesting uh, because given its history, that has not necessarily uh, proved to be true, uh, but the name is broken down into Uru uh, Shalom, and Shalom we know means peace, and Uru means city. Um, there was also a Canaanite god called um, Shalem, um, and so it could also be the city of this god, uh, but because I believe the, the, when the Hebrews took it over and kept the name, I think they probably meant it as city of peace, regardless of what the people that they claimed it from before were, were calling it. Um, so once again means a city of peace, which is very ironic because during its very long history, Jerusalem has been destroyed completely twice, besieged 23 times, attacked 52 times, and captured and recaptured a total of 44 times. So that's a lot of unrest in its uh, history here. Um, so we'll talk today about the timeline of Old Testament Jerusalem, um, and then we'll talk about a couple of Bible stories. Um, Jerusalem is mentioned in the Old Testament 661 times, so we're not going to get to everything that the Bible has to say about Jerusalem. That would uh, take a semester, and I don't think any of you guys want to do that. So, um, so we'll just hit a couple of the highlights. Um, so I, as I said, it was mentioned in, in the Old Testament 666 times, but never directly in the Torah. Um, so I say not directly because um, it is mentioned uh, possibly a couple of times indirectly. So Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, um, if you remember in Genesis um, 14, there's this very interesting story um, where this Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem, um, runs into Abraham and blesses him, and Abraham gives him uh, tithes to him, gives him one-tenth for the blessing that he received. Uh, and it's very small. Uh, we don't see a lot about it in the Old Testament, but it's mentioned quite a bit in Hebrews as well, um, with um, um, the writer of Hebrews linking Melchizedek to Jesus and the line of Melchizedek there. Um, so again, um, King of Salem, they believe this city could have been called Uru Salem. So perhaps he's the king of peace and perhaps he's the king of this city. We're not sure. Um, and then the next story that is mentioned in the Torah is about Mount Moriah. Um, and Mount Moriah, of course, is where Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed. Um, and again, this is 
Um, we're not entirely sure where this happened. Um, we know it was in Moriah um, on a mountain that God specified. Um, and tradition says that that is Mount Moriah, where actually the Dome of the Rock, um, the first century or the first temple and the second temple um, have all been um, built is right there on, on Mount Moriah. And then the first we really hear um, about Jerusalem is, is um, in Israel's history when they're starting to conquer the land of Canaan. Um, and so Jerusalem belonged to the Jebusites. Um, and David conquers this city and makes it the capital. Prior to that, Hebron had been the capital. Um, and so he moves the capital of um, the United Kingdom of Israel to Jerusalem. And it's very interesting. Um, we'll talk a little bit later about um, the way it was captured when we get to Hezekiah's tunnel, uh, but that's a, a definitely a fun story. Um, and here he brings the Ark of the Covenant and he purchases land for the temple on Mount Moriah. So he purchases it, purchases it from a Jebusite who owned it and he had plans to build a temple there. Uh, but God obviously told him, no, um, you, David, are not allowed to build my temple. Um, you have too much blood on your hands um, because you're a warrior. And so he said, your son Solomon will build my temple. Um, and so when Solomon um, becomes king, he does indeed build um, the first temple uh, there in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah in about 950-ish BC. We're not entirely sure um, when that would have been. Um, and then it was captured and destroyed by the Babylonians um, in, there was a siege between 589 and uh, it was eventually captured in 586. Um, and they completely destroyed um, everything. So they tore the temple down, they, they burned everything um, 70 years later. Um, so that was under King Nebuchadnezzar um, and the inhabitants were all exiled. They, they left Jerusalem and they went um, into Babylonian captivity. And then about 70 years later under King Cyprus, um, they returned. And when they returned, uh, they started to rebuild the temple um, again, although never as grand as it was before. Uh, there were limited resources. Um, and we'll kind of get to some population, um, population stuff later to help us kind of understand the ebb and flow of the size of, um, of Israel. Um, so interestingly enough, um, there is no evidence of the first temple. Uh, does anybody have a guess as to why we don't have any archeological evidence of the first temple. The only, the only mention of it is in the Hebrew scriptures and we don't have any physical evidence. Anybody have any guesses as to why? So, um, of course, the second temple that Herod built was built on top of that. And then when the Romans came in and destroyed um, the second temple, they didn't leave a stone on another stone. Um, and so even if there was um, some of that that was left, um, when um, the Muslims captured um, Jerusalem and took control over it and built the Dome of the Rock there. Um, there likely is quite a bit of evidence of uh, Herod's temple and um, the first temple, Solomon's temple, uh, but it's all under the Dome of the Rock. And so um, obviously because that's a very holy site um, for um, the entire Muslim nation or the Muslim um, population of the world, um, very contested, very volatile, place in the world. There's, nobody's just going to go and start digging <laughs> underneath that. So, so that's likely why there is no information about it. 
All right, so this is the city of David. And so this would have been um, the city that David conquered from the Jebusites. Um, it's very tiny. Um, so you can see here, um, these are the walls here. His palace would have been up here. And then um, this is the Gihon Spring and the Kidron Valley. And then over on this side, this is where you would have the Mount of Olives as well. So this area right here is um, what David would have conquered and made the capital. And it's only about 11 or 12 acres. And when it was captured by David, um, the Jebusites that were living there, it was probably a population somewhere around 700 people. So not a huge population. And that didn't change a lot during David's reign. So he did make it the capital city. Um, that is where the administrative uh, work was happening and that's where he started to build his palace. Um, but it did not have a huge population otherwise. So that kind of surprised me when I was doing some of this research because you think of Jerusalem as, as um, this big city now and it was so important in Hebrew scriptures and yet it was so tiny. Um, so throughout David's David's reign, um, they did kind of build out a little bit this way, and then uh, he, of course, purchased this land up here from um, a Jebusite, and then that is where uh, Solomon built the temple on Mount Moriah. Um, so evidence of the city of David does exist. Um, and so uh, we visited that when I went to Israel. I don't have a lot of great pictures because it's all being excavated. So it just looks like a bunch of rocks with um, kind of a, uh, an open stairs um, on top of it. So you can kind of see down. So the pictures that I took were not great. I didn't think you guys wanted to see any of that. Um, but so as I said, um, the only evidence of the first temple, Solomon's temple, is in the Hebrew scriptures. The only evidence of, um, of David's reign, of this line of David, of um, this great Hebrew kingdom is also in the Hebrew scriptures. And so there has been a lot of uh, scholarly discussion about whether this kingdom even existed or not. Um, there's been a lot of um, debate as to um, if this only exists in scripture, perhaps they just made it up to make themselves seem, you know, better than they were. Um, and so um, now that we have found pieces of the city of David, um, it actually kind of builds the case that yes, this was an administrative um, center for the Hebrew people and uh, deliver some credence to what we find in scripture. Can I ask a Absolutely. Um, okay, I'm looking at this. You said they think it's about 10 acres. Mm -hmm. Would I be correct in saying it's not so much? No, people actually live there. So it was not a big place um, as far as where, um, uh, when the Jebusites were living there, it was a city. So this Gihon Spring um, makes it, it's probably why people live there. They, they lived there a very, very long time ago. There's um, evidence um, very, very far back that people were living there. But it's just, it's not close to anything. It's it kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's not great agriculture. Uh, it's kind of close to the desert, it's very rocky, very hilly, not very close to the ocean. It's just not a great strategic kind of place that people would would have been living. So there's just a small group of people um, that were living there at the time. Mm -hmm. They would not have been there. They would have been added on later. So um, I do have a couple of slides later that will kind of show how um, Jerusalem grew and, and shrunk and grew and shrunk, um, which hopefully will help um, but this is on the, the very, let's see if I can, here. Okay, so um, this is a much better picture. So this is the wall um, today, um, and this is the Dome of the Rock. So this would be like the Muslim quarter and the Jewish quarter um, and the Western wall over here. Um, so you can kind of see, this is where old city Jerusalem 
is. And so uh, this right here would have been um, the city of David. Um, and so you can see it's kind of on this small little spur, Mount Moriah, or where the temple uh, would have been underneath the Dome of the Rock is up here. Uh, the Kidron Valley is here, and there's a little Gihon Spring. Um, we'll talk about why you can't really see that um, in just a minute. And then on this side, this is um, Gethsemane or the Mount of Olives over here, kind of uh, on the other side of that Kidron Valley. Any questions so far? Yes. Oh, goodness. Uh, it's been fairly recently. I want to say it was the late 1800s, um, and they, they speculated that it was the city of David. And I think recently, um, on our next slide, um, we'll get to um, some finds that they have made um, in the last 20 or 30 years um, that really give credence to it being um, the city of David, um, a capital of a Hebrew nation. Is that in the Jewish quarter now? It's, it's not. It's kind of outside Old Jerusalem. So you can see the wall here, and it would extend this way and go up around here. So it's kind of outside of what we would, uh, what Old City Jerusalem is. Is it uh, Israel controlled? Uh, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Mostly Muslim families that live there. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly. And also, uh, the reason they know the size because the Gihon Springs water flow would only support maybe twelve hundred people. Exactly. Um, let's see. So, um, uh, seals or um, bully um, in Hebrew have been found in the city of David, and they suggest that it was important, an important city to the Israelites from an administrative standpoint. And so um, when um, the Babylonians came in and destroyed all of um, Jerusalem, burned everything, obviously uh, that's not good news for scrolls. They kind of burn up uh, in fire, but that is good news for these little seals. So they're kind of, they're made out of clay almost. And so when the city was destroyed, they were essentially fired and preserved um, as little clay um, seals. And so what would happen is, um, you know, an important document would have been wrapped up with a string. So it would have been rolled up into um, um, a, a little uh, scroll and then wrapped with a string. And then the string would have had this clay stamped on top of it um, to seal it, to say this is who it's from. It hasn't been opened yet. It hasn't been tampered with. This is, this is the person it's from. Similar to uh, like wax seals that you would see in, um, in you know, medieval times or um, you know, old timey movies, fun stuff like that. Um, but the reason um, that this is so interesting um, is because some of the names that they have found on these um, correspond with names that we find in the Bible. Uh, so one of them is um, Menachem. Um, so that has been found and that was a king uh, who is mentioned in um, Old Testament scriptures. And another is Akive, um, which that name is not found, uh, but it's very, very close to Ahab, who we know was the evil king Ahab, who was married to uh, Jezebel that we talked about uh, last week with uh, Stephen. So there are, there are names of important um, kings um, that we do find in scripture who have their names preserved in these um, bully here. So that's very fascinating, um, I think, personally. Anybody have any questions about that? All right. 
So the next thing we have is Solomon's Temple. Um, and again, if we go back, um, so the city of David would have been down here. Again, very small, but it was a, it was a growing city. Um, there was peace now at this time. Um, and um, it would have been a major administrative place. And then again, um, David purchased this land up here, though he was not allowed to build the temple. So Solomon uh, does build the temple. Um, and again, there is no evidence of this, but based on what scripture says about it, there's a lot of detail in scripture about what it would have looked like. Um, so this is kind of an example of what it may have looked like. Um, and obviously would have been vastly important because up to this point, um, the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the tabernacle. God tabernacled among the people, moved around from place to place with the people um, when there were celebrations and, um, and things like that. People went where the tabernacle went, which was kind of constantly on the move. And now that they have uh, a place of their own, they have a kingdom that's established, now they have established a temple. And this is now where the Ark of the Covenant resides, and this is where um, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews believed uh, that God resided and where God spoke from. So it would have um, lended even more importance to this city. Um, rather than just being the capital, it is now also the religious <coughs> center, the most important place for, um, for the Jews at the time. Yes. So um, there's, a, there's a scene where uh, David brings the Ark of the Covenant uh, back to Jerusalem and there's dancing and his wife gets really, up, or his daughter, I think, gets really upset about it. But bringing it to Jerusalem to be in the Holy of Holies inside the temple. <laughs> well, again, so the Babylonians came in and they wiped it all out completely and they plundered the temple. They took all of these things. Um, now, when Cyprus became king um, later after Nebuchadnezzar and he said, you can go back, he actually sent them back with some of the things that he plundered, but not the Ark of the Covenant. So um, that was that was lost to history. Uh, but some of the other um, gold and, and important things um, did go back with, with the exiles that returned. Um, so... Again, as I said, we're not able to see any of this because it's currently under the Dome of the Rock. Um, and then the second temple was built on top of this, kind of probably with some of the ruins. Um, and we'll talk a little bit if we get, if we have time uh, about building that second temple um, later. Uh, but Jerusalem remained very small um, after this time. So, so through, through the kings up until the point um, of, I think it was Jehovah. Jehoiakim, um, who was the king when they went into Babylonian exile. Uh, at that point, there the the population swelled to about eight thousand people. So it went from about five hundred, a thousand people to uh, a city of about eight thousand people, um, and it took up. Um, much more space as you can see here they would have gone this direction um, and then up this way and it would have been a much bigger city but then when they returned uh, only a handful returned uh, in fact there were lots that were cast in nehemiah 11 2 it talks about um, with the exiles that returned they cast lots and one out of every 10 families uh, were kind of voluntold to go back to jerusalem um, so that at this point um, because it had been a holy city because it had been the capital, an administrative site, um, it was completely wiped out. There was not anything there. People didn't want to go back to it. There was nothing to go back to. And so um, they cast lots to, to tell people to go back here and build it. Um, and so at that time, um, only a fraction of the people returned. Um, and it stayed about 1,000 to 3,000 people until first century BC, so um, 200 years before Christ.
Okay, um, and so we'll also talk about Hezekiah's Tunnel or the Pool of Siloam. So this is a place you can still go in um, in uh, Jerusalem. It's really neat. Um, I do not have any pictures of Hezekiah's Tunnel because I don't like water in tight spaces, and so I didn't do it. Uh, you can, <laughs> you did do it. Very cool. Anybody else has done it? Um, and then the day we went, they've got this little person that's got like a water line next to him. Says, "This is how high the water is today." And the day I went, it would have been up to here on me. I was like, "Nope, not doing that. Thanks, just the same." So there's a, a way you can go around, but you go down through Hezekiah's tunnel, and then you kind of come out at the pool of Siloam. Um, and so that is all there today. And Hezekiah's tunnel. Um, so it's a pool that was fed um, through a tunnel by the Gihon Spring. So basically, we're diverting the Gihon Spring into this city. Um, so this had been done previously, and the reason we know it had been done previously is because uh, for, there are two examples in the Old Testament where um, this is how uh, David conquered uh, Israel or Jerusalem to begin with. So um, the Jebusites were saying, hey, this town is so secure, nobody's ever going to get to it. Uh, in fact, we have our blind and lame people guarding it because it's so secure, there's no way anybody could get in. Except there is this little tunnel uh, that they hadn't really told anybody about where they were tunneling the water into the city. And um, one of David's men found the tunnel and they all went in um, almost Trojan horse style and conquered the city that way through their own tunnel that they had built. Um, and then again, um, when Solomon was anointed king, he was anointed king in one of these tunnels uh, as a hiding place because one of his, uh, there was somebody else that was vying for to be king and he was in hiding um, and that's where he was anointed was in one of these tunnels. Now what Hezekiah did was expand these tunnels and hide any evidence. Um, let's see. Yeah, it was designed to provide water to the city when it was under siege. Um, it was a huge engineering feat. So it started at either end of the city. So the Gihon Spring and then the Pool of Siloam, and they met in the middle. Um, that is an enormous engineering feat. I know that doesn't seem like it, but when we're talking like, you know, acres and acres apart and you're tunneling, like how do you, how do you actually meet in the middle? But they did. Um, and there's, you can see that there's an inscription in the side of the tunnel um, where, where they met with a date um, that mentions, I believe it mentions the name Hezekiah um, and talks about, um, talks about that. So that's, that is pretty cool. But they also erased any evidence of the Gihon Spring at all. So they covered it all up um, with, um, with other tunnels and kind of put, um, you know, hills and grass and stuff on top of it. That way, the, the people that were coming in and, um, and trying to capture them or holding them under siege couldn't poison the water, couldn't put anything in it, couldn't stop it up on their end. So it just, it, they, were, um, they were able to rely on this. Um, and then it ended at the Pool of Siloam, which was a reservoir uh, for this water. And then the, um, of Siloam is also mentioned in the New Testament um, and Jesus heals a blind man here. He puts mud on his eyes and tells him to go um, and wash off in the pool of Siloam and he is able to see after that. So it was still there in uh, Jesus' time and um, it's still there today. They've excavated it and you can see, um, I believe, just a portion of it, but it's, um, it's rock. It's kind of square. It looks, it looks like a big swimming pool. It's pretty neat. Oh yeah, here. So here you can see Hezekiah's tunnel, how much water uh, is in there um, and, and this fluctuates depending on um, rainfall and how skinny that is uh, and why I was not a fan of walking through that. <laughs> what now? Yes, very long. 
Um, and then this is the pool of Siloam where it would feed into, um, and you can see um, it kind of goes down into here. And then I believe over on this side, this is the Muslim quarter. Um, and so they have not done a lot of excavating over there. They just have this little uh, portion of it. Let's see, any questions up to this point? something similar to that. Um, so this is Hezekiah's tunnel, which expanded on the tunnel that was already there. So, uh, so the Jebusites had a tunnel uh, that was kind of diverting some of the water from the Gihon Spring, and what Hezekiah did was make it bigger, make a reservoir with the Pool of Siloam, and then hide any evidence that the Gihon Spring existed. That way um, it, it could be used exclusively for that city while it was under siege and not be worried about being tainted in any way. No, um, I, I, it, there's not a lot, but there is still some, um, it's, it's just down here. Um, so this is kind of, yeah, that would go, but no, it's not, it's not a, a massive amount by any means. Yes. I mean, that's, that's solid rock that they're tunneling through. Yep. No, nothing there. No. Yeah, so this city was under siege um, by the Babylonians for three years. So if they hadn't had this water supply, this battle would have ended in a matter of months rather than um, years. Um, all right, so um, Jerusalem is also mentioned a lot in the prophets. Um, so if you'll recall, Jesus... Um, calls Jerusalem um, the city that kills the prophets, um, and and that is is a fairly accurate statement. Um, so Jerusalem is is a holy city. It's where the temple was. So it's believed that that's where God's voice was coming from. That's where God resided. Um, the word of the Lord came through the prophets, um, but it was it was housed in Jerusalem. Um, so many of the prophets speak against Jerusalem. Um, they talk about Jerusalem being a, you know, a den of liars. Um, they talk about, um, woe to you who build Jerusalem uh, without paying your workers and um, with you know, evil means and um, doing all these things. So Jerusalem, that, that is literal and figurative. So um, Jerusalem means the place, uh, means the inhabitants of that city, means, but it also means uh, Jerusalem, the kings of Jerusalem, the, um, the, um, those who are in charge. It also means the religious leaders who were also in Jerusalem. Um, and it also means the, the larger um, um, nation of Israel as a whole. So when the prophets talk about Jerusalem, they could be talking about uh, all of Israel. They could be talking about the religious leaders. They could be talking about the, um, the kings and those who are in power um, in Jerusalem. Um, so they speak against Jerusalem for things like idol worship, for breaking the covenant, um, for oppressing the poor, uh, for injustice, um, and for dishonesty in the temple. Um, so if you have read the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets, so much of it is 
um, God saying, I have made this covenant with you. I am here dwelling in your midst. I want to be with you. I want to make you my people. We agreed to this covenant. We agreed on how you were going to treat um, other people. We agreed on how you're going to worship God and you're not doing it. You are making my house um, a mockery. You are oppressing the poor. You are selling people into slavery. You are, um, the religious leaders are telling, are, are making things up about how people should worship and how people should give their money. And then there's some dishonesty about where some of that money is going to. Uh, there's just a lot of corruption and the prophets were calling that out um, over and over. Um, so if you read the prophets, there's a lot of doom and gloom. There's a lot of um, tales of destruction. If you continue in this way, this is going to happen. Um, the Babylonian um, um, siege and eventual exile is prophesied about. Um, so there is a lot of, because you are doing this, because you're oppressing the poor, because you've broken my covenant, because you're worshiping all these other gods when I am your God and I have been providing for you, um, I am going to punish you. Um, and at the same time, it's also the place where God's reign would be established. So there is hope. So God never leaves his people in the prophets with, with this doom and gloom, with this destruction. There's always hope. There's always, and on the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes back to Jerusalem and establishes his reign of shalom, there's going to be a faithful remnant that will survive. Uh, there, you know, Waters of justice will go forth from Jerusalem, spilling over into everywhere. God will call his people from, uh, from the ends of the earth into Jerusalem where they will be protected by God. Um, it's just this beautiful imagery um, of rejoicing and shalom and where God's people are gathered up and protected. Um, and so even though God says, there are consequences for your sin. There are consequences for what you have done. That never has the last word. Um, hope always has the last word. God always says, the reason I'm doing this is to draw you back to me. The reason I'm doing this is because you are my people and I want to be in relationship with you. And if that means that you have to go experience exile um, in order to turn your eyes back to the God who, who rescued you and provides for you, then that is what's going to happen. Um, so there's a lot to wrestle with, um, with, with the prophets and uh, with some of the things that we read there. Um, but I want you to, you know, anytime you hear those things, remember that uh, that never ends with destruction. It always ends with hope. Any questions about that? I've been struck. Um, I just finished 2 Kings. Yeah, 2 Kings. And reading 1 and 2 Kings is kind of exhausting because king after king after king wicked, unfaithful kings who yep. bring in, um, you know, the poles, the Asherah poles, the Asherah and, poles mm -hmm. and the bales, and male mm -hmm. shrine, prostitutes, and all these nasty things, and then about every fifth or eighth or tenth king, <laughs> they'll have someone who yeah. follows God and believes in God and tears most of it down, but yep. usually not all of it down, and it just goes back and forth, but then his child will not follow Right. Good kings, child will not follow the ways of the Lord and will turn to all its evil. And I, I'm incredulous that God was even patient with that people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it was just so wicked and so back and mm -hmm. forth. And I mean, the good kings were so few and far between. Absolutely. I mean, it's like it was just like endless, you know, wicked kings that are just, they just kept doing it. It's like for God to have that patience is just like, because, you know, if it were me, I would have been like, you're done. Yep, <laughs> lightning bolt right now. I mean, it, it just, because it's like, 
they would continuously be doing, you know, the idols, the prostitutes, the whatever you, whatever wicked thing you want to say, they were doing it, and yeah. they just kept doing it and doing it and doing it, and it's just, it's just wild. Yeah, absolutely. So much God always mm-hmm. sent yeah. to punish them, too. Right. They always got punished. Right. It may have taken a while. Right. A years, exactly. Yeah. Which is interesting because, you know, some of the people that were doing, doing the evil never were directly punished. It's, it's, it's very corporate. It's very, um, it's, you know, this idea of this community is responsible uh, together. And I think that's, um, that's something that we have lost in our individual, um, you know, Christianity here. Um, so I want to read you a couple of, of um, things from the prophets. Um, Zephaniah 3, uh, this is evidence of, of the beauty and of the rejoicing and of the shalom. Uh, Zephaniah 3, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, Rezo- rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. So even though there's judgment, the judgment will go away, and God will return to be with them and be in their midst again. Uh, and in Zechariah 3, uh, Thus is the Lord, I have returned to Zion, and Zion's another name for Jerusalem, uh, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of that city shall be full of boys and girls, children playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. I just love that imagery of Jerusalem as this place where people grow old, where you know there, there are no sieges, there are no exiles. People just sit around with their canes watching kids play in a park, um, and, that's, and that's this future hope that, um, that God wants for his people. Um, so these are a couple of interesting slides. I told you we would talk about what Jerusalem looked like through the years. So this, these are the walls that are kind of currently around Old City Jerusalem. Um, this here is the Temple Mount. Uh, it's kind of broken into quarters here. And this little spur down at the bottom is uh, that would have been um, the City of David, um, that 11 to 12 acres that we talked about. <clears throat> and then, um, and then. Again, very small population. Um, and then as David conquered it, as it became more peaceful, as Solomon kind of uh, took over and established um, and built the, um, the temple here, it grows. Um, a couple of centuries later, we've got about six to 8,000 people. Um, and so again, in that picture that we saw, the, the uh, city of David is down here, and we saw all the land up here and the, um, and the temple up here in the corner. Um, and so it had a population of about six to 8,000 people. This is what it looked like. Um, this would have been what the city walls were like when, um, when the Babylonians came in. And then when they returned after the, um, after the exile, they would have had um, a portion of the Temple Mount and then the city of David is where they would have resided. And it would have stayed that way um, at about 1,000 to 3,000 until about the second century BCE, so for quite a long time. 
and then um, the Hasmonean Empire, that was another time when the Jewish uh, people uh, had control over this area. Um, doesn't happen very often in history, but this is one of those times. Again, um, it swelled back to 8,000 people like it was um, a couple of thousand years prior to that. Um, and then this is the early Roman time, so this would have been what it looked like um, in Jesus' time, um, much larger, had a population of about 10,000 people. And again, that would swell um, and decrease with festivals. And so uh, Jerusalem would have been a place that people came to for Passover, for um, all kinds of the, the Feast of Booths, all kinds of things. Um, they would have come there, and so the population would have just absolutely exploded, and then people would have left again. It's a huge, I guess, tourist city even then. Um, and then on the eve of Roman destruction, so when the Romans came in and completely wiped out the city, completely destroyed that temple that Herod had worked on for so long uh, that Stephen will probably talk about uh, next week, <laughs> had a population of about 20,000 people. So, um, And my guess is the reason that it grew so quickly between this time is because the Romans were kind of coming in and squelching um, um, Jewish uprisings all over, and so people would have fled those cities into safer Jerusalem. All right, so, oh, we don't have much time to discuss. Uh, all right, so I'll just ask you guys if you have any questions, and if not, we're, we're almost at time. So any questions? Comments? All right, well, thank you all so much for your attention. Uh, I hope this was helpful and informative today, and I appreciate you coming.